Well, I have to confess right away that while I did provide information to Pastor Ken, that bio, I held some back because I wanted to tell you myself. It's things that I've been working on for the past, especially the past two years. But boiled down in this last year, I've become what I finally wanted to be, which is a nobody. I've worked on it for a long time, and I'm getting there. And more importantly, I want to inspire you to become a nobody today. It's a process, so don't get too excited. You might not leave as a nobody, okay? Don't get me wrong. I have my own little corner of the world. It's kind of a big corner of the world, just in my house. My husband, my dog, my kids. I should have reversed those. Kids, my dog. Those, they see me as really important. And I'm somebody to them, and I'm fine with that. That's as it should be. But in all of the greatest senses of the word, in this world, I'm really not much of anything. And I'm learning to love that and embrace it of not always knowing what I'm doing, not always feeling prepared. Now, if you've ever done any kind of presentation, you might know that this is the part of the speech that I should build my credibility. Not doing a good job, am I? But I'm actually not interested in that anyway. I want to build God's credibility. Um, who, not that he needs me to build his resume. He's got it. He's doing all right. But I really just want to talk about what God is doing, if that's all right with you. The more important detail to me being a nobody is that I'm, an, I'm learning to be an obedient nobody, obedient to God and to his plans, because it turns out that from that obedience and a willingness to just be nobody, that we can do exactly what we're supposed to do and be called according to his purpose. And it's a lot of fun. So I want to make sure that you take home three important things today. And I might need to tell you to, there you go, thank you, you got it. <laughs> the three important things is, one, I need to tell you about these women who really need us to obey. Two, I want to tell you what Sojourn House is doing with these women and for these women. And then three, of course, I already promised you I'd teach you to become an obedient nobody. So I, I wouldn't want to change that. And I want to tell you how it changes lives. So, first of all, who are these women? These women who have been exploited through prostitution and sex trafficking. These worlds seem maybe separate, but there's a lot of overlap that I should explain. Prostitution is what we've seen from the outside, what we've called it over since the beginning of time, right? And it, it kind of lends itself to thinking this is a willing thing. She's a willing participant. She signed up for this. She went to career day and picked it or whatever. Contrary to that, we know that this isn't something little girls choose to grow up to be. And what is under the surface most of the time is what we could legally define as sex trafficking. And that is the use of force, threats of force, fraud, lies, manipulation, and coercion. There's a lot of pressure behind this from somebody in order to bring about that commercial sex act. 
So these are women who are not where they want to be, not where they dreamed of being, and definitely not where God planned, but they are in need of a way out, safety, time, a lot of time to heal, guidance to come up with a plan for her, her stability and her ongoing safety and, and to be able to heal. And we are talking about women who are 18 years or older, although my background, a lot of it is in, in all of this happening to children. Sojourn House is focused on women because there's such a shortage of that service for adult women. First, before we head off into a different direction, I want to make sure we understand the difference between what Hollywood shows us and the reality of what trafficking really looks like in this area and in this country. It looks in Hollywood like um, a girl who is, we can go to the next slide, thank you, um, a girl who is swooped up in a dark windowed van and it's a high-speed chase and all of the FBI is chasing and Oh, man, it's really great if her dad happened to be an ex-CIA agent with a whole team on the ready. That works out splendidly. And she's rescued, and she goes on to leave, lead a, a balanced, healthy life with a few bad memories. That's not reality. It makes for good cinema. But the fact is that it's awfully, um, it's a lot more common for women to know exactly who her trafficker is before the crime ever takes place. It's a crime of trust building and manipulation, and those take time. So what it can look like, some very common scenarios. Um, coercion, remember I said force, fraud, and coercion. This coercion could look like a young lady who hasn't had a lot of input into her life Maybe not a lot of guidance to build up her self-esteem. And so the first man who comes along and tells her she's pretty and great and promises to take care of her, she buys it. The problem is, is he has bigger plans. And over time, as he plays this game out, he becomes her pimp. And she believes she's doing all this willingly because he's a sneaky dude. And he knows exactly what he's doing to make her think this is part of a life she's chosen when in fact there's violence, force, and fraud, and coercion involved to classify it as trafficking. It may be a young lady who wishes she had a, a nice, tight-knit family, but doesn't. And her friends at school give her that. Her friends out in the community as she graduates or not. And they also happen to do drugs. They drink. They get her into some awful habits and addictions that leave her very vulnerable to, to people who are willing and waiting to use that vulnerability. And they offer jobs for modeling, and they offer her acting jobs, and she thinks, that sounds great. I've always wanted to be loved and appreciated. And it's not acting and modeling in the sense she hoped. It ends up being forced fraud and coercion into trafficking. Most common in this country, and actually in the whole world, a majority of trafficking happens from a young woman's own family. Immediate family, extended family, um, a cousin, an uncle, a mom. I've seen it all. And as much as we hate to think about this part, that the average age of entry into human trafficking is 13 years old. I am going to talk a lot about women today, although men 
and young men and boys can be trafficked as well, but Sojourn House has chosen to focus on women who make up the majority of victims and survivors. And so without a safe home, with anywhere good to land, every place she ends up is temporary and dangerous. And the Bible has a word for that. She is a sojourner. She is a person without a home. She is a traveler who finds herself at the mercy of other people regularly. The Bible says in Psalm 146.9, The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Now, we don't get to help a lot of widows in the process of Sojourn House, but we definitely help the fatherless or the functionally fatherless, women who have nobody to anchor their lives and protect them. We also believe at Sojourn House, and we believe it passionately, that all the good things God does, the upholding and the protecting, he can do through us. And that is how he chooses to do so much of what he does is through his willing nobodies. So what is Sojourn House? Number two, Sojourn House exists to defend, restore, and liberate women who have been trafficked and exploited. We do that in two phases. Currently, right now, we are able to do that in the community through outreach. We have a full-time case manager of intervention and outreach, Afi Grace. She came to us from the west, western side of Africa, and she is amazing with these women. She works directly in the community with other service providers who deal with homelessness and other at-risk populations. She also works with the, the police department so that when they see a, a situation where they suspect there may be going on, maybe something going on here. We need a little help and support. They know that they can call Affie Grace, and she's able to work with these women. Sometimes as simple as a bus ticket out of there. Sometimes it's that easy and quick, but the woman just needs to know it's available. Sometimes it's a very long process because, as I explained, a lot of these women have been convinced that this isn't a crime. It's just a mess she got herself into. That's part of the lie. In addition, we're working hard at training volunteers so that we have more than just a few of us working with these women, but it is a lengthy process to be prepared. And so we've started the process. We've had multiple classes, a really amazing turnout of each class of, of people who just want to help heal these women. Our next phase is transitional housing, and that's actually the heartbeat and the reason why Sojourn House started in the first place. It is also the hardest part of this journey, and we're still working on it. We're still into the renovation process, which is why we're excited to have you all come to us. We're deep into still doing rezoning. This is a school, room by room. We're transforming these rooms and these spaces that were for learning turning it into a haven and a place of safety and goodness for up to 16 women at a time, where they'll be able to live and, and enjoy education and career development. She'll have up to two years to develop and to grow and to heal. And, to, and two years seems like a lot of time, 
but when you consider how long it took for her to get here, actually two years is, is maybe not even enough for some people, but we're going to work with her in that time and then continue supporting her after that. Because when you're not having to worry about food and whether somebody's going to hit you or hurt you or, or whether you're safe to sleep at night, once you have all those things, you can move on and you can actually do those higher level beautiful things that are in God's plan. She can rewrite her story. She can at least write the rest of it the way that she and God wants it to be written. And we can see that rewritten, that new process of authorship of her story in the story of a woman we'll call Trish. I met Trish um, down at another place similar to Sojourn House, one that's experienced and uh, we've done a lot of mentorship and learning from. Trish was on the street. She was being exploited. She was addicted because those almost always are tangled. She sometimes got to touch base with her mother, um, a single mom who had raised her and they had struggled a lot. And she touched base with her mom and her mom would say, Trish, honey, how do we get you out of this? I think I'm going to have to bury you. Well, as hard as that was for Trish to hear, it didn't change things. Until a couple of years later, Trish learned about a program like Sojourn House, a transitional housing, who was able to help her get on the right track. She signed up. She went. She spent the two years working hard um, at, at getting clean from drugs, at career development, education. She graduated. She bought a house. She bought a car. So proud. And then a few years later when her mother start, was aging and needing a little help and support, she was able to invite her mother in to live with her and care for her. And to hear Trish talk about, and this is the kind of pride that I can listen to all day, the pride and the joy on her face as she explained how, um, there you go, that all of these on the list, her family and the community and the judicial system and even other women who were trapped, how she had had such a, a bad impact. She had been a burden, she felt, and that ripple effect that we all hope is good, she knew, she knew hers wasn't. And so she talked to us about how, how that had changed, how she had seen it all flip over because of God's love and healing and her hard work and her obedience that now she had a job, she was able to care for her family, she was able to participate in the community. She wasn't a burden to the judicial system anymore. Of all the guilts that Trish has, one of them that bothered her the most, vocally anyway, was that she learned that one year of incarceration that she had had due to charge, you know, drug charges and all the stuff that gets in that world, one year had cost her community over $40,000. That really weighed on her. Isn't that strange that that was something that plagued her? And so then she learned that she wasn't doing that anymore, and that made her happy, and that she could support survivors instead of lashing out, using, and being on the same level and having struggles with them. Trish could have a positive ripple around her, and now Trish is from a southern state we visited, and so she said something like, I bought a house, I bought a car, and now I pay taxes. (laughs) 
that's not a miracle. <laughs> to be so excited about paying taxes and being part of a productive society. I'm not even going to be mad at you if you have taken it for granted that you pay taxes. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you to be thankful today. But Trish was. Trish is thankful. Um, so, third, as I promised, I want to tell you how to become that nobody I'm so proud to be. And the reason I share this picture is it is me, and it is, it's fine, it's fine. I put it up there, and I'm not embarrassed, it's good. I have grown up, and I have learned important things like not to wear green headbands, doesn't work. But there are some commonalities I still have with that little girl that we all do with the child we were and the teenager we were and all of that. No matter how old we get, we still are all those stages a bit. So I look back at the, the qualifications and the doubts and the thoughts that she had, and I think, whoa, we have a lot in common still. Like, am I grown up enough to be doing this? Should I really even be a parent? Can I do this? Should I really be in charge of any of these things? So I look back at those, and over the years I've learned to just put them in a box, my doubts and my unqualifications, my underqualifications. I put them all in there. And then I hand them over to God. So I can tell you what I put in my box and handed to God, and I'll tell you what God did with them. Well, that kid could have been voted most bossy fifth grader. <laughs> uh, her teacher, oops, that kid, where'd she go? She could be in charge of a group project and have assigned jobs and got it started and finished by the time some of the other groups even got their pencils out. She liked bright colors. Don't know where that went, right? She really, she was obviously very stylish. And unfortunately, she was bad at math. Like, really bad. Super good at spelling and reading. Top notch. Math, don't want to talk about it. She cried easily, as in like her mother had to walk her out of the theater when they watched Bambi because she couldn't pull it together. Mother. It was so sad, so bad. So she took all those. I've taken all those. I've put them in a box, and I've handed them to God, labeled like, go for it, God. Do what you want. Do your thing, because I don't know what to do with it. And these are the things he's done with it. That bossy kid, well, I prefer the term leadership now. Thank you. I still can get a group together and say, this is what we got to do. Let's do it. Make our list. Boom, bang, boom, and we do it. Now, this has been a longer process of that, but it's, you know, it's no social studies project, but it's still the same concept. He's able to use it. All that style I had, well, I've been able to use it in a, in a setting where women need to feel comforted and, and loved and at home, and room by room, I'm getting to put it in each room so it feels welcoming. That's a lot of fun. How can he use the fact that I'm bad at math? Well, I'm also really independent. And so if you're really independent, but you're also super bad at math and you're trying to start something like this, you need a team. And you need a team every day. And that's a great way for God to remind me that I can't do this alone is because I have to get out a calculator for everything. And I have to call our treasurer for everything. I'm so grateful for that. I still cry easily. 
But God taught me that what that is is my compassion for other people, the fact I can't stand to see other people hurting if I can do anything about it. And so I put it all in there. I turn it over to God. I've been letting him work on it. But it turns out that's not, none of that is my, my base of education. I come from um, a background of deaf education in American Sign Language. Those don't apply here. I was pretty decent at that. Doesn't transfer. So I'm the new kid, and I'm a nobody, and I've learned that that's way cooler than knowing a lot. So I look for other nobodies who are willing to obey God, other people who are willing to just do it, no matter what, put it all in a box, hand it over, see what we can do. And that's why I came here, in hopes that you'd be the kind of people that would do that, to turn it all over. And so what qualifications... Are you bad at spelling? Perfect. We'll take you. Do you snore? <laughs> Welcome aboard. I saw people. I, do, I said that just so I could see who nudged who. That was good. That was good. I did not take a picture. Have you ever gone months without, like, flossing when you brush? For that, I might need to get your dentist's phone number, actually. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> You are willing to obey God. Is that, is that one of them? Because that's the only qualification I'm really concerned about. Even if it doesn't fit into what you think you're good at, or even if it means you become a complete nobody, I want your obedience to be God-driven and God-approved. And he may have a different area for, the, for you. It may not be Sojourn House. And I'm okay with that because I want God to be in charge of it. But since I'm here... I can't help but tell you some examples of how God has led others to serve at Sojourn House and serve the women. For example, let's see the next. I think skip. There you go. We had your incredible youth group come up and serve a few months ago, and they were outstanding. Not only were they a lot of fun, they got a lot done. We just had some cleaning up to do and some moving of resources. We had had some donations that needed relocated. and Wow, they're a powerhouse. And you have a few opportunities to be as cool as them. November 20th, or 20th the work day. We've already talked about that. Also, you have the opportunity to be a volunteer individually. It may be that you alone have, have has something to offer, even if it's just compassion and obedience. And you'd be surprised at what skills you have that we can actually hold on to and would love to help put those to work. They might not seem directly attached to this, but you'd be surprised. It may be just giving toward the living room and the laundry project that we're working on. So we have a lot of furniture and rooms and the resources for it, but we need some of them furnished. And so part of your Advent conspiracy, is that what it's, that's okay, is gathering those things. So maybe that's your, that's your way of participating. A really less glamorous way that's not, not all that fun to talk about, but it's such a backbone important part, is recurring donations. And it can be so simple. It can be a matter of setting it up with your bank and our account, and it's every month it goes, and you don't have to worry about it, and you can sit back and pray and, and check on us through 
social media and look how Facebook is, you know, how we're doing. Check us out on Facebook and our newsletter. But it's so supportive because it's how we set our budget. It's how we plan for the future. And in case you are more into numbers and math, I should tell you that the cost of doing all these things for each woman, everything from the roof down to the therapy and the food and clothing and transportation, we've been able to source so much of it, and the, the end cost that we have to come up with every day, it's $56 a day per woman. If you boil all that down, don't worry, I didn't do this math, so it is accurate. The final yearly cost for a woman to go through a program is a little over $20,000. That's a lot. But if you remember Trish, you know, that lady that likes to pay taxes, and her, her knowledge that she shared that it costs twice that much for a woman to be in prison, where there isn't hope, and there isn't training and, and a bright future, that this is a pretty good bargain. And more than a bargain, it's an investment. An investment into a woman that the enemy tried so hard to take down and destroy. And we get to take back what the enemy tried to destroy, and we get to give her back to Jesus. So that she has the freedom to be an obedient nobody too. So I'd like to conclude with this. There are a lot of huge numbers in the world of trafficking. And you might have noticed I didn't share those. I didn't put up a big map that shows all the hot spots and where it occurs most and the, the highways and all of where it's moving. And there's a reason. I don't look at those numbers every day either. And I'm in this every day. But I don't check those figures very often because they overwhelm us. And the fact is, is that no matter what I put in a box and hand over, I'm still one person, but I'm one person that until God tells me otherwise, who can do the work that he's told me to do for one woman at a time. And that's something you and I have in common. You're each one person. And so... I hope that you see God has set it up that way and that he's happy to use us one at a time. We're really cool in groups too, but we still have to make those decisions one person at a time. And so I hope you join me. Put all your stuff in a box, hand it to God, ask him what he can do with it, and let's change some lives. Thank you.